Hello, this is Risa Courier, host of the Alliance podcast, coming to you from the Humane Rescue Alliance in Washington, D.C. Today, I'm really excited to be joined by Nancy McKenney, president and CEO of Mar- Marin Humane Society. Nancy helped make sure I could pronounce that correctly, Marin Humane. So thank you so much, Nancy, for joining us today. Oh, thank you. It's my honor. I I feel very, very uh, honored to be on your guest list. First, how are you doing? How are things going in your community? Well, you know, that that's it's a mixed bag. I mean, on one hand, in Northern California, we have experienced a couple of years of amazing and and changing, uh, ever-changing disasters, right? We've we've had wildfires, wildfires, and then power outages. And um, there was even, I was looking back on our calendar, we even had within the last year and a half, an outbreak um, in the Bay Area, not in Marin per se, of the dog flu, dog influenza. So, Mm. I mean, we have, and now we're dealing with a shelter in place and a pandemic. So, you know, each one you learn something new and you got to think about the positives of the fact that we do have power. We do have internet. It's sun. The sun is shining, <laughs> but it is a very unsettling, very unusual time. And that I think, you know, the, the phrase, the new normal, I'm not even sure yeah. we can say that, you know, because um, once we get used to the new normal about power outages and just wildfires are, are a part of life here, now pandemic and not being open and not having volunteers. So how am I doing? That's a long-winded answer, I'm sorry to say. <laughs> you know, I'm trying to look yeah. at the bright, bright side of, of all of this and um, be optimistic but it is a very scary and just uncharted territory in some ways, you know, and then I, then I go back and say, okay, I've got a great staff. They're doing amazing work, even though we might be all apart physically. And we do know some basics about disaster response. And we have to go back to some of those basics about, you know, what's essential and, and what's the ICS structure and uh, how do we report our needs through our emergency operations center if we do. So I think, you know, it's, it's an interesting time and just trying to go through it with at least a a level head. So it's, um, I think we're doing, we're doing as well as can be expected. (laughs) Right. And that, and that's really all, all any of us can say right now, we Mm -hmm. had a situation a few months ago where we ended up having to evacuate all the animals from one of our shelters. And we thought, you know, that was a really difficult situation. And we were amazed to see how all of our staff just rose to the occasion and got the animals out and you got them into foster. And now we look back at that and realize that was sort of a dress rehearsal for what we're experiencing right now. And, you know, we we did do kind of a postmortem on that on that situation and went down all the things that we learned in terms of communication and and how to have like a task force team and to really streamline the process. And, and oh, boy, have we been drawing on the lessons from that situation every single so you guys especially I mean just one really serious situation after another in California and it is sad to think that this is 
kind of a new normal with not only the natural, you know, disaster piece with the wildfires and but um, also this pandemic is just something that I think no one could have conceived we would be experiencing. So could you tell me a little bit about Marin Humane and the community you serve? Sure. So for those who don't know where we're located, Marin Humane is the county, our service area is north of San Francisco. So as soon as folks, if you're heading north out of San Francisco and you're crossing the iconic Golden Gate Bridge, you enter into Marin County. And we are a county that is mix of rural and urban. We have a lot of a lot of wildlife, a lot of open space, a lot of farmland in Marin, and we have a population. I think it's about two hundred. Well, it, yeah, about two hundred fifty-six thousand humans. And um, Marin Humane was established in nineteen oh seven, and we are the one basically one stop shop here for animal related needs. We're we're the main animal shelter for our community. We also have a contract to perform the animal services or what others call animal care and control functions for our community. Uh, we have a staff of a little over a hundred and we have the typical humane society functions with humane education and the animal shelter and a public spay-neuter clinic, and then again, the animal services side of the house. Then we also do a lot of advocacy work, and so we offer also coverage typically 24-7 in our animal services, and a lot of our calls are about wildlife, and therefore we have to do a lot of community education about peaceful coexistence with coyotes to um, Mm -hmm. dealing with, you know, deer questions. And uh, we also do work with a a great group called Marin Friends of Ferals. And we work very closely on trap, neuter, return programs and have a a career cat program for placing feral cats in barns or doing doing their job on other sites. So um, I like to say, you know, we do a little bit of everything at Marin Humane and we just have our roots uh, go long and deep in this community. And fortunately, the community does support us overall. We welcome any visitors when when we get out of this pandemic, we would love yes. to, you know, we have, uh, we, we border the ocean on the West Marin side to uh, the East Bay. And then we're, you know, lodged in between north and and east of us as Sonoma um, County with all the wineries and Napa County with all the wineries. So it's a great place to be. (laughs) Well, it sounds beautiful. And that also the wildlife education work you do, we'll have to have a whole separate podcast to talk about that because I'm always so excited when I hear uh, shelters doing that and enforcing, you know, the enforcing the need to live in harmony with uh, wildlife. So that's that's great to hear. So when it became evident that COVID-19 was spreading through communities or community spread, as they refer to it, the San Francisco Bay Area, including Marin County, became one of the first areas to respond by shutting down schools and businesses. So that was all new. Uh, The rest of us had the benefit of, of seeing, you know, we we saw you all go through the process and then it happened to us. So what information were you receiving from your county leaders at the time? 
Well, fortunately, because of our role um, with the contract to provide animal services and in just our role in general, we have a seat at our emergency operations center. We're, we are designated as the first responders for animal-related needs in a disaster. So we have connection. Um, we have a seat, although we physically, luckily, we're not sending staff to, to be there. We were able to, um, our, our emergency operations center has tools in place where they hold conference calls and they have this software called web EOC. So we get alerts and are part of daily calls as the, as a seat at the table. So we have a seat at the table with the emergency operations. So we get a little advance notice about what the issues are through every day's, what they call sit reports, the situation report. So we get that and we, you know, are hearing from that, the leaders through that conference call, through the written situation reports. And so we were given the knowledge, maybe a little bit in advance of our general public and our community about how grave the issue was. And at the time, we did not actually have a lot of cases of positive um, COVID cases in Marin, but they were, you know, concerned. They were communicating with all the health officers of the other counties, and um, they had identified some individuals who came from those cruise ships that went to Mexico and went to Hawaii. They already knew through the manifest that, that some of the residents were in Marin and had been out and about. So, we were able to get the communication early enough for us to realize we have got to pare down and that the order was coming for the shelter in place. And so, yeah, I just, you know, it seems like so long ago now, but it was just, you know, just weeks ago where we had to then right. identify our core business, you know, which was, again, animal care, caring for the animals in our place. Customer service is our department that handles all the calls that come in on our telephone. They handle the licensing. They handle the dispatching of our officers. So they were essential communication tool and part of the, the core team. And then the third core, third group was our animal services officers. So we, we sent and talked to everybody about, we had, it felt like we had about a 24 hour advance or 48 hour in advance notice about this. So thankfully we had that information and then just started the, the plans in place to um, sh- shut down. And, and in between, I, I can add that, you know, we alerted all our directors, uh, supervisors and said, Hey, if you had to send your staff home, even the, the animal care workers who typically aren't all set up with the technology or their job is so hands-on, right? Right. Um, what would you have them do at home that could be still on the time clock, so to speak, still be, you know, good work that needs to be done. And so we had created lists ahead of time and everybody had, of course, all the computer training that everybody didn't have time to do <laughs> every other time. So right. that was number one on the list. Yeah. We have always the need for updating policies and procedures and putting things in writing. So that was an that was another step. So there were several other things that we said, okay, prepare, get, you know, move your files to the cloud or take your files and get your copies uh-huh. done. So we had a little bit of notice to sort of 
get everybody as set up as possible. The other thing we did, we sent out a quick survey to all our staff because I didn't want to presume that they all had the best computers and that their phones, that they they practiced how to check our email through their phones or that they had internet connections. So we did a staff survey just to make sure what, what did they have access to? And do we need to give them a tablet to take home? Do we need to give them a laptop? Do we need to give them a hotspot? Um, how could we make sure everybody wasn't, um, uh, or, or that we had enough people, you know, connected? And and so we did that survey right. too. And fortunately, you know, we, I think there were five, five employees out of everybody who admitted that either they didn't have access to internet or didn't know how to get to our email from home. So, you know, we quickly tried to get them set up as well so that we were, had an even playing field for the technology for working from home. Wow, that's a, a mad scramble to get all mm-hmm. that done and reconfigure uh, how everyone works. So what is the current status of your operations? Well, um, we just had another shelter in place or, or the shelter in place order was extended here till May 3rd. And they the county officials continue to clarify what they mean by essential businesses, because mm-hmm. I think the new order was a little bit more specific and, you know, said even if you're an essential business, you have to continue and that if you're choosing to continue to operate, you have to scale down your operations to the essential component only. So for us, we are still closed to the general public. We aren't allowing volunteers to come in or do any volunteer work. We have our very few staff because also, luckily, we don't have very many animals under our care in the shelter. I think we have less than 20 at this point. So we don't need as many staff to come in and be there 24-7. So we've pared down our teams. We do daily briefings and they take a photograph of the notes of the daily briefings and email it out to the rest of the staff just to know who's on campus when. We are still debating, you know, how is, is adoptions essential? We have over a hundred, 110 animals and fosters and foster homes. And we know at some point we'd love for them to be adopted. We're worried that the foster parents might be a little, get a little tired and go, you know, I signed up, signed up to take care of this animal. But on the other hand, we're getting feedback that they love it. They're not they're not feeling overtaxed. So okay. we are having conversations about how to delicately, very individually, and very much practicing social distancing and all the other techniques everybody else is em- employing regarding doing adoptions without all the all the time and energy and co- contact that we normally do, because we'd like to get some of those foster animals to be officially adopted. But basically, we take only emergency calls and send the officers out with all their um, PPE, uh, their protective equipment, Uh personal protective equipment. Yeah. And we're, you know, we continue to take calls and track our, we're tracking all our work diligently and reporting those statistics. So we're really down to everybody else working from home, getting all their training done, getting their projects done. And doing a lot of the Zoom meetings between mm-hmm. departments, um, between directors. And, you know, we're getting the hang of how, how to work remotely, I think. And uh, always keeping an eye on making sure we, we bolster.
bolster our staff and let them know as much as we know and, and giving them information as much as possible. Yeah. And, and like you said, it's hard to make these decisions on, you know, foster and adoption when we just don't know how long this could last. And mm-hmm. the, the mark keeps changing. So, you know, the president recently went from we're all going to be back to doing our thing by Easter to oh, well, the end of April. And, and like we discussed, you know, I'm in Virginia, it's June. And so it's just hard to know, like when you're making those decisions and plans, how for how long do we expect for this to be right. <laughs> If nothing else, you know, this is a test of resiliency and making sure, you know, it, it, I think we, we definitely know we'll get out at the other side of this. And as right. you said, we just don't know when. And that, that uncertainty, you know, we just have to make sure it doesn't nag at us and our staff. But right. um, it's easy to to do because, you know, the sun's going to shine again and it's going to be summer and it's going to be great. But on the other hand, does anybody want to get out and see people or are we going to be so afraid to gather? Will everybody still have a job? Will we be able to do fundraising? Can people afford to adopt their animal? You know, all those are going to like, wow, there's a lot that's going to happen in the summer and the end of the calendar year for us. You know, are are we going to have all our events? Everybody's going to compete for the the October, November schedule. So yes, there's, there's a lot of uncertainty, but it's, it, it is making that the silver lining is it is making all of us think about, gee, we, we're doing some things even probably more efficient or we're, mm-hmm. we're maybe we decide not to bring back some of the programs or the, the steps that we used to have. Maybe we'll streamline things and realize what is a humane society all about and what sort of services can we help the community? And yeah, a lot, uh, uh, hopefully a lot of good lessons will, will be carried out when we get get back into the new normal, as they say. Yeah. So speaking of that, are there any things that any changes you've made or, you know, programmatic or staffing or to your operations that you think, hey, maybe we will keep this around for the future? This is we didn't need it. We didn't need it that way before. And it was an additional, you know, hurdle or burden or um, that we kind of created ourselves. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I think um, at Marin Humane, we were pretty flexible on our adoption, open, you know, practicing open ad- uh, adoptions, as they use that phrase. It's probably a uh-huh. little outdated now. But looking at things about, let me say, we've been looking at the foster to adopt, to not needing to come back to the shelter prior to uh, COVID-19, but now we're definitely going to be practicing how do we do the pass off and how could we have conversations and trust the foster parent who has a friend who is willing to take that that cat or dog they have in their home. So the foster and adoption prog- program, we definitely will continue to look at how to streamline that. For us, it's been interesting to look at humane education and behavior and training. Both used to be very hands-on, bringing kids to our campus, having programs and activities on our campus and, and around our campus. Behavior and training is definitely, you know, bringing people to our campus with their dogs or going to a cat behavior workshop and being present. So now 
We are looking at how to do more remote tours of campus, how Mm. to do human education through reading time on Facebook, the training, how how to videotape and put out tips and tricks that everybody can enjoy and actually practice at home with their dogs during this time. And, mm-hmm. you know, will dog training classes be the way people learn or can we go completely video? Now, the behaviorists on our team are, are wise to say they love and need to see people interacting directly with their dog to help them, you know, to help analyze what's going right. on. So, you know, there might be an element, obviously, we will have to go back to, to in-person classes, but it's making us think about service delivery to our community that's social media based more than ever. And we thought we were pretty good with our social media team and, and having these, you know, all these different uh, programs and promotions, but it's really making us think about the programs and service delivery to our community through, through internet now. And, and we've seen a lot of the, the aquariums or the art museums, you know, doing virtual tours and having those links and, and connection. And we're like, Hmm, we should have videotaped, you know, we could go into the shelter now and do a vir- virtual tour with send somebody who's um, still there to go around with the camera, but there's, it's an empty place. <laughs> it doesn't right. look very active. And so, you know, I, I think adoption wise and dispatch wise, we were in pretty good shape going into it with getting procedures and going trying to to reduce our use of paperwork and things. So for for us, it's more the the other services and connection to the community. And then what's looming out there is how do we keep people with their companion animals in their home as long as possible? And that if our community feels that Having a pet is a luxury, and they want they may ha- want to think about giving up their pet because of the economy. We, right. we want to keep our pet our pet safety net program growing financially, so we can do more to keep those animals in their their homes with their you know their pet owners who cherish them and and have gone through a lot with their animals. We want to make sure there isn't that rush to oh my gosh I have to give up my animal and surrender them to to Marin Humane. So we're anticipating and and talking to funders and and our you know clients to assure them that we're continuing to give them their pet food supplies and we continue to build our fund to help with uh, covering for veterinary expenses all because we want to keep those animals in their families and so we anticipate that that demand's going to go up but we want to we want to build our effort with that so that we don't see a rush of animals being reluctantly surrendered to us right well, have you have you experienced an increased number of animals coming to you as from illness or with the economy, the shift? Fortunately, not yet. So knock on, as I say, sanitized wood. Um, we have yeah. not seen um, a <laughs> lot of... Uh, we have not seen a lot of calls for that. We've, been, again, been delivering more pet food out to the community um, and to our current clients um, in our programs, our, our assistance programs. So we have not seen that request. As of today, we only know of two situations where we have a person, an elderly person who became 
uh, hospitalized and was diagnosed with COVID-19. She had chickens in her, um, ho- not in her home, but, you know, in her yard. And the neighbors are willing to feed the chickens uh-huh. and the daughter uh, lives out of state. So we've been giving her some options as to rehoming the chickens without actually having to be in our shelter. But we're keeping an eye on those chickens in that household. And then we have another household where an elderly gentleman, again, was hospitalized, lived alone, but had a cat, and he's positive uh, COVID-19, the, the person. So we're in connection, we're in contact with the family members who are, again, out of state. We're monitoring the care of the cat, but we actually made the decision to shelter the cat in its own home by itself, and we'll monitor mm. its care as opposed to going into the house and um, removing the cat. We wanted to um, keep the cat in its own living situation, and it's doing fine. If, if anything, yeah. you know, changes, we'll, of course, take the animal under our care in the shelter. But so far, as of this morning, the amount of animals impacted so far has um, not increased on our call sheet. So we're feeling, feeling pretty good about that. You know, and thank goodness yeah. they're, they're coming out and saying, you know, that's great. And, and, and hopefully, y- yes, yes. Now we do know that uh, the county officials are saying we're not quite at the peak of our surge, as they call it. So, you know, maybe in two weeks, right. um, I will be saying something different. But for now, and then checking with the all the a, a lot of my colleagues, a lot of the CEOs have been sharing information and chatting or having email groups. And it doesn't seem like that right now, a lot of positive um, households with pets are needing their local shelter to house the ca- the animals. So it's relatively low. And, and it's good to know that animals are not the cause of the spread and that they're not the fomites uh, regarding COVID-19. So that's, yeah. that's a relief too. Yeah, the news just gets more encouraging in terms of that animals aren't, we don't need, people don't need to worry about their animals carrying the infection to them and just everyone just wash your hands. That's with no matter what you're doing, engaging with your family, including your fur family. So that's great. So we're we're running out of time, but I do want to ask you uh, one more question. What advice, now that you are a few weeks into this, what advice do you have for shelter leaders um, whose communities are currently not affected, who haven't received the shelter-in-place orders, or maybe are just beginning that process? Uh, Good question. I I would think if they think they're going to be in most likely uh, in the same situation we are, I would do the same thing. Communicate with your senior management team, your supervisors, and start thinking about if you had to send most of your staff home and just have a few caring for the animals in your shelter, uh, sheltering in place, uh, what sort of work projects could be done? How are you going to communicate? What's the system? How to how to support your staff? Think about think about that now. And then the second would be, you know, again, remember the tenets of most disaster response plans of, you know, rotating your staff, who's in charge, what's the logistics, what are your needs, and, and keeping keeping that fresh in mind and as a as a structure to use. And then the third would be, can you can you get your animals adopted and, and placed into foster homes and really reduce your animal population to only 
as little as possible. And so being willing to, again, send them out to fosters, even new fosters who haven't maybe gone through your official volunteer orientation and having the interview and having all that procedures, you know, is there a way to get your animal population down and get all your documents and, and your your IT structure set up so you can access files or get your list of your volunteers so you can email them from, from home. Be ready for that. And then check and monitor what everybody else is doing. We're happy to share our information, our SOPs that we've created just for COVID-19. And, you know, we're happy to share that information because we're in it together. That's right. We are. And it's it's just it's so heartening to see how all the shelters and all levels of staff are really reaching out to one another. We're, we're reviewing other organizations, SOPs and pulling from them all the time and just issued a joint press release with all the different shelters in the, the, the DMV area, the District of Columbia and the uh, adjoining um, suburbs and communities and and it's just, it's great. I mean, I'm, I'm so impressed with our, our community of um, animal welfare colleagues, how they're all just, you know, willing to share all those resources so we can all do the best we can during this time. But thank you so much, Nancy. This has been wonderful. And I really appreciate your time. Well, thank you. And I think your podcasts are just important to have and to share among our colleagues. Um, and it's great information to get out. So uh, kudos to you and your your team for doing this. This is a this is a great venue. Thank you. And to all of our listeners, please do subscribe so you can receive more episodes like this one. And feel free to drop us a line and uh, let us know what you think of the content.